0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. It's important for the dental hygienist to have an in depth understanding of the basic principles of pharmacology which includes the classification of drugs, as well as the risks associated with patients who indicate that they are taking medications on their medical history. Now, as a clinician, it's important for you to understand the potential side effects of treatment procedures with certain medications, as well as which medications create a need for some alteration for you to perform specific dental procedures. These are the types of questions that will be on your board exams. What's the alteration and how do we manage that patient and keep the risk minimal when we're performing treatment? The dental hygienist needs to be able to determine if their patient is safe to treat or if there's a need for additional medication or modifications of their current medications in order to treat the patient safely. In this episode, we will review some of the major pharmacology-related content that is related to some of your most common conditions or diseases that we see in the clinical setting. We will discuss potential patient management situations related to certain disease conditions and medications, as well as some of those alterations that are needed with patients who present with a higher risk or complex medical conditions. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying! let's first define a drug, right? A drug is a substance that treats either a chronic or an acute condition, or it can be taken for prevention or other reasons. Now many students have trouble at first identifying a drug, and this is understandable because the names of the drugs can seem very confusing. And this can be explained as being because many drugs can be identified in a variety of ways. They can be named by the chemical name or the actual molecules that make up the drug. And those words can be hard to spell or pronounce. They can also be named by the brand name, which is the name that's given to the drug by the trademark or company that holds the patent. Now, Then there's the generic name, which is the actual official name for the drug. And I think this is the part that really creates confusion for students and early clinicians. If you just remember that each drug can only have one generic name, and you can tell it's generic because that first letter is always lowercase, um, it might help you as you're going through the process of really learning and understanding the identification process of drugs. An easy example of this is ibuprofen, which is the generic name for both Advil and Motrin, which are known as the trade names or or brand names. Now, the trade or brand names are always capitalized. And it's important to know that the generic drug may not always have the very same chemicals, but they should have the same therapeutic equivalents, meaning that they perform the same functions as the trade name drug. As a dental professional, you should routinely reach out to sources to gather the proper information on drugs that your patients are taking. And you're learning about this in school right now with Lexicomp, and there's lots of uh, drug reference books that you can use as well. It's important for you as the clinician to know why the patient is taking a drug. And keep in mind that some drugs are used as off-label, meaning that they're used in a variety of ways outside of what the initial development of that drug was. Be mindful of that consideration. And as a clinician, you should know the side effects and the precautions that you have to take. It's also important to know the dosage and how long your patient has been taking this medication. Someone who's been on a medication for a really long time may not have the same treatment alterations as someone who is newly taking a drug. Now, drugs can be classified into two categories, either over-the-counter or by prescription. Drugs can be prescribed in a variety of ways, and the dosage or amount of drug that the patient takes is determined on a number of factors. It's their age, their weight, their tolerance, and also the time of day that they take the drug is also indicated on the prescription. Current drugs that the patient may already be taking may be a contraindication of the primary choice drug that wants to be prescribed, so sometimes there's alternative choices embedded in those prescribed drugs. We will review the drugs and the methods that are most commonly used in dentistry in this episode. The clinician should understand the stages of drug actions in the body also known as the pharmacokinetics, absorption, distribution, metabolism, and excretion. The absorption starts with the administration or the site of entry, and it involves the transport of the drug molecules into the circulatory system. And in the circulatory system, the drug attaches to the proteins in the blood, and then it circulates through the body. The drug distribution occurs in the blood supply, which efficiently provides a pathway for the drug to gain access to the system. The drug is metabolized in the liver and passes through a series of chemical changes and composition alterations, and then it's prepared for elimination. The excretion process occurs as the drug metabolism process is completed, and then it's most often excreted through the kidneys in the urine but it can also be excreted by way of sweat, saliva, the respiratory tract, or the GI tract as well. There are some drug interactions that clinicians should be aware of, especially those associated with dental treatment. With proper preparation and complete medical history interviewing techniques, most drug interaction complications can be avoided. Sometimes a patient may experience an allergic reaction, And these can be really scary because they're unpredictable in nature and they can have a more serious response with repeated exposure to a drug complication. Non-opioids are non-narcotic analgesics and these are used to treat mild to moderate pain. Narcotic analgesics, also known as opioids, are for moderate to severe pain and these have come under great scrutiny recently due to the addictive qualities, and should not be overprescribed, overused, or used over a long period of time. Looking first at the non-narcotic analgesics, we'll start with aspirin. Now, aspirin is used to treat mild dental pain, and the trade names associated with aspirin are things like Bayer, Excedrin. The therapeutic effects of aspirin are analgesic, anti-inflammatory, and anticoagulation. Now some of the adverse reactions associated with aspirin are things like bleeding, allergies, or GI problems. Aspirin is contraindicated on patients who are taking anticoagulants, have an allergy, or someone taking a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug or has asthma, so it's important for the clinician to know this. A patient taking an anticoagulant drug can be predisposed to bleeding problems during clinical procedures. The patient's doctor should be consulted to make the determination if a patient's anticoagulant medication needs to be adjusted prior to any dental treatment. And this is especially critical for patients on warfarin, which is the generic name. The trade name would be Coumadin or Jantovin. Now, the INR, known as the International Normalized Ratio blood testing, should be documented on your patients who are taking a warfarin anticoagulant. Now, patients taking these anticoagulants, such as aspirin, Xarelto, Pradaxa, or Eliquis, do not require an INR blood testing. However, consideration for bleeding problems should still be addressed. The guidelines for safely treating patients is to have an INR of 3.5 or less, or a PT prothrombin time of 2.5 or less. Now these values provide the clinician with the information on how well the patient will be able to form a blood clot. And this is really important information for you to know for your clinical application of pharmacology as well as board exam questions. Let's talk about hypertension. So by definition, blood pressure that is higher than 140 over 90 would be considered someone with hypertension. And this is the most common of all cardiovascular diseases. There are a choice of antihypertensive drugs, and this is dependent on the patient's actual blood pressure as well as some other variables involved in their medical history. And the goal with our hypertensive patients is to manage and reduce morbidity and mortality by maintaining a blood pressure that's less than 140 over 90. So if you have a patient who's taking hypertensive medications and they still have an elevated blood pressure, then the dosage or the drug of choice that they're using is not working to maintain that. The therapeutic effects depends on the drug by ultimately working by expanding the blood vessels and causing that vasodilation to happen, which will actually lower the blood pressure. Some of the dental implications on hypertension is that you want to closely monitor that blood pressure at every appointment. Some of these hypertension drugs cause xerostomia or gingival hyperplasia, there is the possibility of orthostatic hypertension as well, so you want to be careful in your patient management and moving the chair. There are some drug interactions. You want to be really careful with using epinephrine, especially in our high blood pressure patients that show unstable blood pressure. You also want to be careful using NSAIDs to treat any kind of pain for these patients. You will be treating patients that are taking high cholesterol medications. These are typically patients who have blood cholesterol levels that are higher than at least 200. And it's a significant risk factor for coronary artery disease, stroke, or hypertension. The drugs that are used to treat high cholesterol are statin drugs. And the therapeutic effect of these statin drugs is that they are cholesterol-lowering drugs. You want to make sure that you monitor heart and pulse rates on your patients. Let's talk about endocrine disorders, specifically diabetes mellitus, because this is probably the most common chronic illness that you're going to be dealing with that also requires modifications in the clinical setting. Diabetes affects so many people in the United States, and this includes children as well. So you are going to have to be very proficient in proper management of your patients who present with diabetes, especially because you are a oral healthcare professional who's trying to manage oral disease. And as we know, diabetic patients have a really hard time managing their oral disease. So there's such a strong correlation. So this is a heightened awareness area for you as a dental health professional. These patients are characterized by being in a constant state of hyperglycemia where their insulin just is either completely missing in the body or has a significant deficiency. So you have type one, which there's a lack of circulating insulin, and there's elevated glucose levels. So usually this occurs in puberty for type one diabetics, but it can happen anytime. And unfortunately, this creates a dependency on insulin for the entire lifetime of that patient. And then you have type two diabetes, which is adult onset, where the pancreas has no ability to secrete the right amount of insulin or it puts out some insulin, but just not quite enough to maintain the glucose levels in the blood correctly. So for our type 1 patients, we typically see insulin, uh, and for our type 2 patients, we'll see uh, a metformin or another type of oral medication that's used to treat these uh, diabetes patients. So let's think about some of the things you're learning in school that will help you manage these patients who present with diabetes. We have you fill out that diabetic questionnaire because it's important for you to make sure that your patient has taken their medication, that you have a glucose source available for them at your unit or operatory, that you understand the last time that patient had a meal. You want to make sure that you know when the last time they had their glucose levels checked and what it was and how they're feeling today, right? You want to make sure that you keep the appointment shorter if possible and that they're scheduled earlier in the day. You also want to make sure that you know their last A1C level. The A1C level, as we know, is strongly connected to their periodontal disease classification. So as you're doing your assessment and working through your assessment process with your patients who have diabetes, these are the things that you want to be gathering for information so that you can get a really clear understanding of where your patient is in the process of managing that disease and controlling that disease, because all of that information is going to tell you that. The other component I want to talk about are gastrointestinal disorders and the drugs associated with them, as well as the dental impact on that. So a lot of patients will note on their medical history that they have heartburn or acid reflux or a history of ulcers. And there's some over-the-counter medications that we use for that, like Tums and Maalox and Zantac. Uh, But the therapeutic effects of these drugs depend on the drug, but it basically decreases the acid present in the stomach. But some of the dental implications of these drugs is that there's xerostomia that can happen. You have to avoid NSAIDs when you're uh, taking these medications. And you may not be able to sit your patient way back in the chair. And patients who indicate on their medical history that they are smokers have a tendency to have an increase in that acid production. And we know that this does play a part in our caries risk assessment. So as you're gathering the information about the extent of this gastrointestinal disorder on your patient, you want to be thinking about how this plays into your patient's caries risk and what you see on your radiographs and your hard tissue charting. Acetaminophen is used with patients who are not able to take ibuprofen for dental pain. Trade names associated with acetaminophen are Tylenol and Anacin. The therapeutic effects of Tylenol are antipyretic and analgesic. The adverse effects associated with acetaminophen are liver problems. And acetaminophen is contraindicated for use on patients who note alcoholism or who already have liver problems on their medical history. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are drugs that are very effective in the treatment of dental pain. Advil and Aleve are the trade names. Ibuprofen and naproxen sodium are the generic examples of NSAIDs. These drugs are anti-inflammatory, analgesic, and antipyretic in nature, but can have adverse reactions such as kidney failure, bleeding, allergic reactions, and or GI effects. NSAIDs are contraindicated for use on patients who are sensitive to aspirin, have ulcers, are taking an anticoagulant drug, or who are already on a regimen of aspirin. Taking a look at the narcotic group of analgesics, also known as opioids, they are analgesic in nature, and this degree depends on the strength or the dosage. Opioids are also used for sedation. The adverse reactions associated with narcotics are respiratory depression, nausea, and vomiting, a decrease in the heart rate and pulse, Pinpoint pupils with specific effects on the central nervous system. Anxiety, nervousness, and restlessness are also side effects. These effects are important for the clinician to recognize in our substance use populations to identify an addict or a patient who may be at risk for potential overdose. The contraindications on usage of narcotic analgesics In patients who are alcoholics or already addicts, there are contraindications on usage of narcotic analgesics. A patient who has respiratory issues due to the effects of the respiratory system or a patient with chronic pain who has the addiction potential. Now, it's so important for us to keep in mind that the rate of addiction goes up almost 80% with just one refill of these types of prescriptions. One of the most common narcotic analgesics that we use in dentistry is codeine, and it is typically combined with Tylenol for added effectiveness. Codeine is one of the weaker narcotics, so if a patient is allergic to codeine, they're often prescribed an alternative regimen of oxycodone or Percocet, which can also be combined with Tylenol. Caution should still be used to the addictive potential of these drugs and they are only used when Tylenol or Advil are not strong enough on their own. I can't stress enough how addictive these narcotics are, so we want to be super cautious on our patients who are being prescribed them. The typical opportunity that you'll have to work with patients who are taking these medications are patients who have recently had some kind of dental surgery, either extraction or implant placement or some other dental surgical procedure performed. In addition to that, you may have patients who are taking these medications who have had a recent surgery or or someone who has a surgery planned in the near future and they're being prescribed this medication to alleviate the pain until their scheduled procedure but oftentimes these medications are only prescribed in short intervals for patient pain management. Let's move on to antibiotics, antivirals, and antifungals. Now consider how this is related specifically to dentistry. Patients who exhibit a specific medical condition may need antibiotics in order to prevent infective endocarditis. So it's really important for the dental hygienists to understand antibiotics. Some at-risk patients may have a higher probability of bacteremias if they are exposed to a high impact load of bacteria in the bloodstream, which occurs in a lot of the dental procedures that we perform. Keep in mind that this protocol is forever evolving, but what we know and what the research shows is that if a patient has a damage to a heart valve or has a prosthetic valve, high bacterial load can lodge themselves on those valves and cause infective endocarditis. Now, currently, the ADA and the Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons recommend that patients who have had a complete joint replacement receive a regimen of antibiotics prior to dental procedures where a high bacterial load will occur. The dental hygienist should closely monitor these patients and keep careful records of the dosage and the time that these pre-medication antibiotics were taken in their patient's record at each and every visit. You want to note the type of pre-med, the time of pre-med, and how much your patient took of the pre-med before every single dental procedure that's performed in case the patient experiences an event after dental procedures are performed. Penicillin is a generic term for a group of antibiotics that contain a similar molecular structure. And these drugs are used to treat infections that present in the dental setting and to premedicate our patients who are not allergic to penicillin. Now, the most commonly used one is amoxicillin. And this antibiotic is the standard choice of antibiotics for pre-medication to patients who have no allergic concerns. Now, erythromycin's are an antibiotic that are used commonly for infections and is the first choice for patients who are allergic to penicillin. Now, let's look at tetracyclines. Now, tetracyclines are not the drug of choice for oral infections, although it is sometimes used. But patients can sometimes have reactions or sensitivity to this antibiotic. And keep in mind that tetracyclines are not to be prescribed to pregnant women or children up to about the age of 10 due to that staining impact on the enamel of the teeth. Tetracyclines should also be avoided with dairy products or antacids. Cephalosporins are in the same chemical family as penicillin and are used to treat specific infections that are resistant to penicillin, but are sensitive to cephalosporins. Cephalosporins should not be prescribed to patients who are allergic to any penicillins. Antifungal agents reduce or destroy the growth of fungi. Some reactions to antifungals include vomiting and nausea. In dentistry, the most common oral infection that would require the use of an antifungal would be candida albicans, also known as thrush. Now, sometimes thrush occurs as a side effect of a chronic condition or immunosuppression. It can also occur as a reaction to another medication. Fungal infections can affect the oral mucosa or the whole body. An example of an antifungal agent would be nystatin, which is commonly prescribed in the dental setting. Antiviral agents inhibit the growth or the spread of viruses, and the most common viruses related to the field of dentistry are hepatitis B, C, the flu, herpes, and AIDS. Viral infections are difficult to kill because they live inside the host cells. An example of a commonly prescribed antiviral medication would be Valtrex or Zovarex. Let's take a look at antidepressants, which I will mention you can sometimes see used as off-label for patients who suffer from migraines or to assist patients in smoking cessation. The most common oral related side effects of antidepressants is xerostomia and even altered taste. And this can vary among patients, and the effect can be more profound depending on the specific drug. The dental hygienist should also be aware that epinephrine may cause hypertension, so, your care plan and treatment considerations for your patients taking antidepressants should not include local anesthesia with epinephrine. And your OHI plan should include building awareness around xerostomia effects. Examples of antidepressant drugs are Prozac, Zoloft, and Wellbutrin. Patients who indicate they are taking an anticoagulant, generic name warfarin, can be predisposed to bleeding problems during clinical procedures. The patient's doctor should be consulted to make that determination if that patient's anticoagulant medication needs to be adjusted prior to the dental treatment. And this is especially critical for patients on warfarin, which, as I said, is the generic name for a lot of the trade name drugs, trade name Coumadin or Jantavin. The INR, known as that International Normalized Ratio blood testing, should be documented on your patients who are taking a warfarin anticoagulant. There are a number of other medical concerns and medications correlated to dental treatment and some precautions that need to be taken. What I will say is that it's hard to know the depth of all of them. For example, if your patient has had gastric bypass surgery or has a history of using bisphosphonates or maybe they have hypothyroidism. It's hard to know, especially when you first become a hygienist, it's hard to know the side effects and contraindications to every medical concern. Always err on the side of caution. Get a med consult find out more information, and do your research to better understand how you can safely treat each of the patients that indicate different situations on their medical history. The best way to treat these patients is to do your research and discover how to safely treat them. This does get easier the more you know in time. Thanks for listening today. Join me next time where we will discuss the cranial and facial bones that make up the skull. This is really important information for you to know as a clinician, and especially when you're doing local anesthesia. A review of those landmarks is an essential piece to being effective in the clinical setting. I hope you join me. I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.